Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome everyone to the Paradigm Shift. I'm back from Fraser or Stradbroke Island and what an interesting time I had over there. Today's show, we're talking about a number of different issues. The first one is I interviewed earlier this morning Helen Hanley, who has got an interesting musical experiment, you'd have to say, at the risk in northern New South Wales. It's a gig to link both local and city music music and she's got a great lineup and I'm going to play that interview now and later on in the show we're going to talk with Rebecca Hayden who's from Rainforest Action Group she's very concerned about the Australian mining companies that are taking uh, concessions mining concessions in Latin America particularly in Ecuador and those concessions for copper, exploration and mining will do a lot of environmental damage. So that's Rebecca a little bit later. And I've got an excellent short interview with Clem Campbell, who is part is from the United Nations Association here locally in Brisbane. And he's going to be talking about an international peace lecture that has been organised... Uh, by his association, which is on tomorrow at the uh, St John's Cathedral. He'll give you some information. So let's get the show rolling and have a listen to Helen Hanley talking about big music at the risk. Can you please introduce yourself? My name's Helen Hanley. I um, am a music lover and I love the city and the country. And um, this is why I've organised an event that brings city and country music lovers together in a tiny little historic hall in northern New South Wales. The gig that you're organising, it's been, this is the second year, I understand? That's right. Uh, we had Big Music at the Risk, which is the name of the event, Big Music at the Risk, uh, last year. And it was an amazing experience with people from the local community and Brisbane and people from interstate enjoying the most incredible music in this little old country hall at a little tiny locality called The Risk. Um, it's really just a hall. There's not much else around. Uh, across the creek is a, is, a, is a school, but it's very tiny. And so, yes, we're having, um, we're having the event returning this Saturday, tomorrow, the 21st of September, doors open at 6pm. What makes the risk so special? 
I grew up all around Queensland, including a tiny little locality called Jagan on the Atherton Tablelands in far north Queensland, which consisted of a school and a hall and a schoolhouse, which is where I lived. And every now and then there'd be a big dance at the hall down the road and everybody would pitch in. There'd be people making food, coffee, preparing the hall beforehand. That Local musicians would come and everyone would dance all night. And when I became familiar with the northern um, New South Wales area near the border range of the National Park, I would drive past this little hall at the risk. It reminded me so much of that hall in Jagan that I would always say, I've got to go to one of those dances. They have dances, very energetic committee, have dances all the time. And I never made it to any one of those events, but just recently it occurred to me that we should invite some spectacular musicians to play in this tiny hall. And it all came together as absolutely fantastic. So we're expecting, we've, we've sold out this year, and, uh, but I believe you've got four tickets to give away to listeners, Ian. Is it hard to get to this place, the risk? It's two hours south of Brisbane, through Bow Desert and along the Lions Road. I can give you the address if you like. Uh, number 6060, Grady's Creek Road, the risk. It's just over the border. The Lions Road is a very um, historic, very well-known tourist route between Bow Desert and Kyogle. And the risk hall is at the end of the Lions Road before it joins the Summerland Way. So it's in an area that's truly beautiful, really lovely, close to the Border Ranges National Park with lots of creeks and um, mountains and several national parks in the area. Are there local musicians playing at the gig? Not this time. We have a great band from Brisbane called Yellowbird who are um, performing. And the headline act is Andrew Clermont with a group of, group of five other musicians who are some of them internationally known um, and nationally known. So Andrew Clermont would be familiar to anyone who's been to the Woodford Folk Festival. He's bringing together... Andrew plays the violin and just lots of other stringed instruments. He's bringing with him another violinist called Shenzo Gregorio, who's the most extraordinary magician on the violin. He is he's truly extraordinary. Um, so there's a bit of dueling violins happening through through the night. Um, Quentin Ayres is coming from Adelaide. He's a great vocalist and a bass guitar player. Then Willie Qua, who's the showman of the, the lot, he used to um, play with Galapagos Duck. So maybe some of your listeners might have heard of Galapagos Duck. Willie Qua's amazing. He plays the saxophone, plays the drums, and he just puts on a fantastic show and makes people laugh. He's wonder and a wonderful musician. Then there is uh, Steve Berry, who's a local from Mullumbimby. He's a great guitarist. He's well-known around Australia as well. And the vocalist for the evening is Hannah Elizabeth, who comes from Byron Bay. So there's a few people in, from the region, but also interstate, um, and many of the musicians have played internationally. They're top-quality musicians. 
I've heard Yellowbird play at a gig called Foco Nuevo in West End in Brisbane. Oh, and yes. Now, an interesting thing about that is the gig is hosted by a band called Jumping Fences and the idea of it is that the music is actually for the musicians, that, yeah. you know, it's a co- it's a, like a cooperative event where there are three sets, people are welcome to come and it has a, a concert atmosphere because the standard of music is very high and it's because people have a genuine connection with music. Is is there is there a similar sort of thinking in this or is it you got a different approach? It sounds very similar and I have been to Foco Nuevo many times so and love that love that venue and love what Lachlan and Sue do in terms of building community. We have a, a similar um, style in the event. It's not prof- it's a not for profit event and it's uh, hosted by uh, myself and other music lovers. So lots of supporters um, are putting this together, people who genuinely love music. They also love dancing. And lots of local people too who um, came to the event last year, including people who keeping are keeping that little hall going. Um, it's a very active committee. The hall's been around since 1908 and this, um, the Risk Hall Committee have kept it in good nick and have kept it active. They have lots of events there, lots of community events. So it sounds very similar to Foco Nuevo. There have been many really quite iconic environmental battles in that area, you know, brings to mind the, the fight to stop the logging of Terrania Creek, yeah. um, uh, the, the fight to stop um, fracking in that area, that general yeah. area. Um, yeah. And, and those, both those campaigns were very, uh, that was both significant and successful and, and, and an important part of it was the music that was, that was part of that, that movement. Um, do you feel that music does have that element where it, it helps people conduct their political campaigns for progressive causes like Terrania Creek and the against fracking? I think certainly it's, it's, it's a medium for all kinds of um, links. I think building relationships, strengthening people's sense of owning their lives and their communities. I think you'd find there'd be quite a diversity of opinions in the hall on tomorrow night around some of the issues that you've mentioned. Um, But that music brings everybody together and able to to come together to, to bring this into life, an event like this into life. It's not specifically oriented in any political direction, the event. Um, but I know, I, I understand what you're saying about Terrania Creek um, and the fracking, the, um, the fracking fight, the Lock the Gate fight that's happened in the, in the north of New South Wales, successful too. Um, we're not endeavouring to do that. It's not our goal 
it certainly is possible that it, it would be an outcome. People might meet each other and be conversing about all kinds of interests and passions they have. Um, it's not, but it's not our specific goal to do that. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I just wanted to also mention that a strong supporter of this event is Magda Productions, which is a local business music um, organisation that brings quality musicians to Brisbane audiences, run by a great friend, Mervyn Langford, who's, who's a very strong community advocate for building community. Okay, well, thanks very much, and I hope the gig goes well, and uh, we'll see what we can do about getting a few of our listeners from Triple Z the free ticket to go down Yeah, there. great. Okay. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. In his book, Why Liberalism Failed, Patrick Deneen calls on political philosophers for help in finding a way out of the vice of liberalism and, importantly, he encourages new forms of community, community that can serve as havens from the rigorous economic order that we live in today. I think that from that interview and from what I've heard from the bands playing, Big Music at the Risk is one of those grassroots events that are part of an uprising against this liberal paradigm. It's a great event held in the country surrounded by green fields and the smell of cow shit. Go flood 
Great band, Follow the River, Yellow Bird. They're playing at Big Music at the Risk uh, tomorrow night. Big shout out to Bag of Bones who just rang in and said, the problems that we have can be solved by gardening. Now, this is a sort of an environmental show we've got going today, you know, especially since we're going to be talking to Rebecca Hayden, who's worried about the impact of mining in, in Ecuador. But he might just have something. So we should broadcast a few seeds and get down into the garden patch and see how we go. The station's pretty much closed down today because everyone's going to the climate strike and I'm hoping a lot of people are already there. I'll be down there later. So let's get on with the show a bit further and have a yarn with Clem Campbell from the United Nations Association about a talk that he's organised for Sophie McNeil tomorrow night at St John's Cathedral. Sophie McNeil is an award-winning ABC journalist and she's spent a lot of time in the Middle East. So let's hear what Clem has to say about that. Could we start by you introducing yourself? Look, it's Clem Campbell. I'm with the United Nations Association and we have initiated the annual Brisbane Peace Lecture. And on Saturday night at St John's Cathedral, we're having the eighth annual Brisbane Peace Lecture um, to be presented by Sophie McNeil. Now, Sophie McNeil wrote a book, We Can't Say We Didn't Know. Um, can you tell us a little bit about her background? Oh, yeah, well, Sophie McNeil is a reporter and a, and a um, foreign correspondent for the ABC, and she's been on Four Corners. Now, this is a young Australian woman who has worked in Afghanistan, Israel, Iraq, Pakistan, Syria, Yemen, Egypt, Turkey and Medaza. These are all very, very dangerous places. And she's been there working with the people, reporting on the impact of those ongoing conflicts. Now, why did you, why did the United Nations Association choose Sophie this year? You know, you've done it for a number of years now. Why did you choose her this year? Well, we wanted to concentrate on uh, human rights. And this was the situation where Sophie McNeil could see what was happening with ongoing wars and how right, there were many women and children suffering from the loss of their human rights. And, and this is something we'd like to highlight. It could be peace and the importance of the environment, Right. Uh, so this year it was on human rights in these areas and Sophie has this great experience of the appreciation of how children and women especially um, have been um, impacted on by war. Now, there has been some uh, sort of counter to uh, people like Sophie McNeil and other ABC investigative reporters by the Australian government um, to, they, you know there's this this attack that they're they're placing on these people reporting on these human rights violations H how do we protect you know the the fourth estate you know the, the media when they they're under such attack from populist politicians like Scott Morrison Trump it, and the it's like. only civil society. You know, it's the people who can protect the, our, our journalists and our, and our free press. And it's just so important 
that you've got to appreciate that through organisations such as the United Nations Association, we are there in our groups, not only out throughout Australia, but other countries working to say we all have these human rights and we all have a need for um, we all have a need for a free press. You're mentioning their civil society now. The civil society in Palestine, they made a call some years ago now for boycotts, divestments and sanctions against Israel. Does your association support that call? Um, we do, and it's very difficult. But as a group, an advocacy group, we feel that the people of Palestine Palestine do have rights. We do believe that um, um, these rights are not being uh, protected and they are also actually recognised by the United Nations itself that says that um, Israel should not have um, uh, annexed some of those areas. But, you know, if, when, when you've got powerful friends um, um, they're just not going to um, allow those rights to be uh, acknowledged. In Germany, a young writer and reporter like Sophie McNeil, she was awarded a prestigious uh, a literary prize. It's called the, the Nellie Sachs Prize, which was named after a Jewish poet, poet and Nobel laureate. And... Um, it was to be presented to her in the city of Dortmund in Germany. But just mm -hmm. yesterday, the committee that, that gives out this prize, they said we're withdrawing it, the prize from uh, the author. Her, her name is Camilla Shamsi. And it was because she supported the boycott, divestments and sanctions movement. So there is this counter-attack against her, so this year that prize will just lay dormant. Um, how, do we, how do we challenge, you know, supposedly reputable organisations? Well, how do we... We've, we've got to do it being, by being preparing to stand up. And this is the difference. With peace, it is on people who stand up for peace. Look, we don't have a museum for peace. There's a museum for war. We don't have a lot of statues showing peace. Right? But uh, we, we often have memorials for um, different battles where we've been victorious. But it's important that we appreciate that peace is the cornerstone of our existence. You see, when we have a natural disaster in Australia, we're allowing our soldiers to go up and help. We have emergency people can go up. We have volunteers, such as we have volunteer firefighters coming from, it's been South Australian Victoria to come and help Queenslanders. Do you realise if we were in conflict, in a war, we couldn't do that? They would have to be staying at home looking after their families. So we've got to just understand that what we take for granted it's, it's hard work. We've got to be sure that we as civil society say we want to make sure stay in peace so we can have our way of life. Now, Sophie McNeil has done a lot of reporting on the Middle East, as you mentioned, 
and the UN Special Coordinator for Peace in the Middle East, that the Middle East peace process, she has uh, condemned as appalling the uh, in the recent Israeli elections, Benny Amin Netanyahu, he announced plans to annex up to one-third of the West Bank in Palestine mm. in contravention of international law and his political opponent, Benny Gantz, his objection to Netanyahu was that Netanyahu had stolen his idea. So when the mainstream of politics gets to that level of flouting international law, not being concerned about human rights, how do we, as the civil society, how do we challenge that? Well, we have to challenge it through uh, representations to our elected representatives. We've got to be prepared to say these are important issues. Um, and like it or not, we've got to be prepared to do it through the ballot box. And it's very difficult. Most people who believe in peace, who believe uh, uh, in, in, in protection of the environment, we really don't want to have to get into the political scene. You know, it seems to be nasty. But if we want to make changes, and this is a difficulty, we've got to be prepared to walk the corridors of power. We've got to be prepared to meet with our leaders, meet with our um, political representatives and saying, hey, um, please represent us uh, with this view. Okay, now it's the International Day of Peace lecture. Can you give us the details? Yes, it's uh, Saturday night at St John's Cathedral starting at 6pm. Look, it, it, it's uh, going to be a lovely program. Uh, we've got choirs, we've got uh, beautiful singers, and we've also got some awards for our local uh, agents for peace. And this is where the um, University of Queensland and the Rotary Peace Centre um, has awards for celebrating Queensland, the um, agents of peace. So this is all part of the program. And, and what we've got to remember, that people from all over the world, you know, different communities, different countries, are celebrating the United Nations International Day for Peace. So for us, it's Saturday night at St John's Cathedral, um, and I'd like to invite all the people to come. Um, not only will you have a, a great presentation from Sophie, we'll also have a nice supper for you. Great. It sounds good, Clem. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, just that, um, you know, we're just proud to have been able to initiate this with um, our peace group and, and the um, community of St John's Cathedral. And um, I just want uh, all people, you know, all over the world, but especially in, in Brisbane, to appreciate peace. You mentioned uh, a choir is going to be singing there. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what is the choir? Maybe I can play one of their songs on the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, it, uh, the choir we have is the Combined Unions Choir. Oh, excellent choir. Yep. Yes. And also we've got a, um, uh, the uh, Fortune. Uh, she's a lovely singer and she's going to do a presentation of, of a song called The Prayer. So we're really um, looking forward to Saturday night at St John's Cathedral and I'd like to see lots of Brisbane people there. That's great. That's a free event. Everyone's welcome and it'll uh, be yep. good, to, good to hear from Sophie McNeil. 
good. Well, thanks very much for speaking to us. Thanks, All Clem. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Down by the Lurid where the river runs dry Is a story that will bring a teardrop To your eye-eye-eye where long back Used to call the wallow up and make it rain there Song secret as a colorful sky He could sing and make the black heavens cry When Kaliara thought of nourish that land He held thunder in the palm of his hand Oh, no, 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 no,
That's Uralai, the Spitapex Gum Band. What a great set of lyrics in there, including the chorus. But red dust from the iron ore train will make a white cocky all stained and rusty and rich boys in the royal family, they needed water for their dusty money. Okay, well, that's the show so far. We're moving on now. Uh, just a bit of a reminder, I've given out free tickets to the big music at the risk. Uh, the evening opens it's tomorrow night down in the over the border, the end of the Lions Road. The evening opens with Yellow Bird, a local West End band, followed by Andrew M. McClermont. Andrew M. Clermont and his Extreme Supper Club Band, well known in the Woodford, Wood, Woodford Folk Festival. So the event starts at 7 and I'm giving away tickets. Text me on 0407 687 016 and I'll try to send you the link to the ticket. Now we've got a long interview, which we won't be able to play all of it today, but it's with Rebecca Hayden, who's from the Rainforest Action Group. He's just come into town for the annual general meeting of a... Australian-based company called Soul Gold, which is trying to mine in Ecuador and thereby destroy much of the, uh, the, the local country there. So let's go to Rebecca now. You're on the paradigm shift. It's quarter to one. Remember, this, the climate strike is on. If you're not already there, better get down there. Queen's Park, marching to Musgrave Park. It's all happening. Let's go to Rebecca Hayden from the Rainforest Action Group now. Could we start by you introducing yourself? I'm Rebecca Hayden from the Rainforest Action Group in Melbourne. Can you tell me what an Australian mining company, Sol Gold, is doing in Ecuador? 
Okay, well, it's been 2012, Sogo started investigating in Ecuador, but they didn't really get any concessions there until 2017 when the company was opened up for mining. Um, the thing about Ecuador is it's got this, the, the Andes, are these, this big band of mountains that run through the Ecuador, and there's an incredible amount of gold and copper resources there. So Sol Gold, they're responsible for exploration. I mean, they were... Uh, one of their major projects was um, exploring for the Galilee Basin, which they sold on to Clive Palmer. So what they tend to do within Australia and is go around, explore for various minerals and then sell them on to different mining companies. Um, but in Ecuador, they're hoping to make the transition to actually become a, a mining company in itself. Um, so they've discovered a whole lot of copper and uh, gold deposits, but predominantly copper is the one where, which they're really uh, looking for over there. Now, Ecuador is a country on the equator that is surrounded by a number of other countries like um, Colombia, Brazil, Peru. Um, yes. Now, an a larger Australian mining company, BHP Billiton, it has caused huge mudslides in Brazil, endangering the lives of local people and destroying the, the maritime environment. BHP has bought shares in Sol Gold. Who is, who is there or what institution is there to hold these companies to account for the destruction they have caused? There's actually very little, and that's one of the big issues, is that, you know, uh, some of these big mining companies can cause huge disasters and huge problems, like the tailings dam collapse in Brazil that you talked about. Uh, but, you know, when there's a problem, they can um, sell it on to, you know, a share a shelf company, or as in the case with Samarco in Brazil, they've been, it's been one of the biggest class actions in history, but yet they've haven't yet to pay anything to people, even though that was nearly four years ago. So, uh, so that's one of our big concerns in Ecuador. There is a, a one. There's already been a mining. Oh, sorry, a tailings dam that's been approved. That's going to be three times bigger than any tailings dam anywhere in the world, and it's in an area of high earthquake risk and high rainfall. So, and as well as at the headwaters of the Amazon. So. Uh, it's, 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 you know, it's a recipe for disaster. In the case of BHP Billiton, the method they used to distance themselves from the damage that they had done in, when that tailings dam collapsed in Brazil was mm -hmm. they argued that it was a local company that was responsible and held the, con the mining concession. So is it, is it a similar thing playing out in Ecuador with uh, Sol Gold? Well, absolutely. It's so easy for them to distance themselves from what's happening on the ground. Uh, in Ecuador, Sol Gold has, I think, five different subsidiary companies. Um, and, you know, so they can... There's always, you know, an option that they can sell them on or, or change the name or um, to... Uh, sorry, can I just redo that? Um, they... Um, yeah, there's always an option for them to be able to distance themselves uh, from their subsidiaries in Ecuador. Um, 
Sorry, my brain. <laughs> That's a, all right. A, a brain meltdown then. No. Um, yeah. Uh, so far in Ecuador, um, Solgot is yet to build a mine. Um, it's actually yet to build a mine anywhere. Um, so in Ecuador itself, uh, they are mainly exploring. And part, one of the big issues in Ecuador is that uh, that most of the communities are saying they actually haven't been consulted uh, for mining at all, and most of them do not want mining. So they've pretty much woken up one morning. Sometimes the first thing they hear that their that their land or their indigenous territories have been sold. The mining is when the helicopters come over when they're doing the magnetic uh, imaging to see what resources there are in the area, and the helicopters fly very very low over the rainforest. Um, multiple times through the days, um, scaring wildlife over the water holes, um, over low over communities. And so then the communities are sort of find out, you know, that these things are happening. And one of the issues with Soul Gold is that we've got uh, people in different communities that have said to us they've been going and uh, coercing elderly people or children into signing documents that allow them to explore falsifying signatures. And and while, you know, the top brass at Soul Gold might say that they wouldn't do that, they have nothing, they they would have, uh, not, they would absolutely, you know, condone that kind of behaviour. The reality is on the ground, that's what happens. And implicitly or explicitly, they may, they may well be aware of that. So, um, and you have pro-mining uh individuals on the grounds that, you know, are using force. We've had some of our uh, contacts there have received death threats in the form of videos showing uh, people being brutally murdered and saying, this will happen to you if you continue to support um, pro-mining groups in your community. So Sorry, are you, are you so in contact... If, if you continue to support, if you continue to be active against mining in your community, this is what you know, this is what will happen to you. Do you have testimonies yeah. by people on the ground who are affected by this kind of mining? Yeah. Yes, we do. Yeah, we've got we've got some fantastic video testimonies and we've um, we've transcribed them. So we've got um, some, you know, where people are basically saying that they completely denounce uh, Soul Gold in their area. They've gone in. Uh, this one by... Can I read one out? Yes. Um, I've got one here from by someone called Marcius Cordoba from the Bolivar pro uh, province. And he's talking about concessions held by Solgold subsidiary Valle Rico. Uh, and he says, We have concessions belonging to the mining company Solgold. These same concessions are located within the source areas for our water, where we also have waterfalls, lakes, and some archaeological sites. Importantly, I want to say that we totally and absolutely reject the mining company and we are not going to permit entry or exploration within our territories. To date, they have no social license, have done almost no socialisation and have done no consultation whatsoever. Um, there's, a, um, there's another one here uh, by... Um, Abigail Rosero says, my name is Abigail Rosero. I am from the canton of Payatanga in Chimborazo province. 
Our territory has been concessioned to an Australian company by the name of Green Rock Resources, a subsidiary of Solgold. The land has been concessioned arbitrarily, without authorisation, without our knowledge, and with no previous consultation to our community. On top of this, we sit on the biggest geological fault line in Ecuador. They've been completing technical studies of the area. We say to them that Payatanga is a beautiful place with the best climate in the world. Our message to the directors of this Australian company is they must stop entering our territory. Some of our ancestors and indigenous to here are valiant people. These companies come in arbitrarily without consent from any of the communities. We're coming to realise that we are arriving at a second colonisation in our country. I'm angry that they think we don't have rights, that we're just animals and indigenous people. We are honest people and mining companies have a lot of money who are destroying our territories. We want them out. Uh, yeah, we've got, you know, there's quite a few like that. I don't know if you want any more, but... Um do you have any um, testimonies from organisations that are opposing this mining exploration? Yeah, so um, we, we do. Uh, a lot of them have got in Spanish, so what I've got to transferred over. But I actually have a letter from the Caminantes Collectors. I'll just see if I've got it on my computer. And the Caminantes Collectors, so we do a lot of work with the Caminantes Collectors in Ecuador. Um, they comprise... Uh, um, a whole lot of indigenous organisations, environmental organisations, and some of them have links with uh, various municipalities as well. And they put uh, out a letter, um, it was actually about a year ago, um, denouncing mining in general, um, addressing it to the CEOs of BHP, Sunstone, Soul Gold, Fortescue, which is Andrew Forrest's um, uh, company and um, and some of the other Australian companies where they say we are a collective of thousands of Ecuadorians representing the entire nation and the indigenous and campesino communities that form its soul. As you may be aware, Ecuador's government has granted more than 500 new mining concessions in the last two years with a short-sighted plan of replacing dwindling petroleum revenue with industrial mining revenue. This is almost 15% of our national territory. I'll just, I'll just put it in the side in there that actually uh, now it, it's down to about 6.6% because some of those concessions have been discarded. Um, so I'll just scan through. Um, it is imperative for the Australian public in general to understand the gravity of the threats Australian mining companies pose to our economic, cultural, biological and social well-being. For example, BHP's state and environmental policy reads very well on paper, but on the ground here in Ecuador, the story is very different. Many of the company's concessions affect primary forests, pristine watersheds, and even protected forests, despite BHP's declared policy of not mining in areas where endangered species can be affected. Not all the greenwashing in the world be able to conceal this indisputable truth. Besides the environmental nightmare, Australian mining projects pose to Ecuador, another crucial aspect Australians should be aware of is that not one Australian mining project is in compliance with Article 398 of Ecuador's constitution, the right of communities to prior consultation regarding non-renewable non resource extraction. Nor is it in any way compatible with the small farming, ecological tourism and ancient traditions that ca characterises most of the indigenous Campesina communities now living within these illegal and unconstitutional concessions. So there's actually been a number of 
number of um, legal cases that went to court over the last couple of years. Uh, some of them actually have been won on the basis that those communities weren't, weren't consulted. Um, you've probably heard, well, there was a Wayorani, which was an oil concession, and they won they won the rights back to their own land. I think there was about 52 concessions that, um, that they won the rights back to. Um, there was a Chinese-owned mine called Rio Blanco that was um, forced to halt proceedings. Um, we've actually... There's been another one. So the Los Cedros Biological Reserve is... Um, it's a place that's close to our heart. The Rainforest Information Centre in Lismore um, was one of the key uh, groups that helped to set it up back in the 60s. And it's an area where there's the most incredible uh, biological... I mean, Ecuador's got incredible amount of endemic species, and uh, I think it's one of the one of the most um, sorry, it's one of the, the areas that, uh, the most um, biodiversity in the world. It's got more biodiversity than North America. Sorry, more endemic species than North America and Europe combined. Um, and so, this this area called Los Cedros was um, bought with the help of the Australian Rainforest um, Information Centre, but about two years ago, they realised uh, that two-thirds of the, of the reserve were um, slated for mining. So there's been quite a lot of the legal cases that we've been involved in uh, supporting and getting information out about. And uh, one of those early ones that was won in the provincial court stopped BHP from being able to conduct any exploration in the area. However, people continue to go in and uh, the, some of the mining employees are continuing to do exploration despite, uh, despite the court ruling. So that tends to be the case that a lot of those um, places where legal cases have been won on the ground, the story is still quite different. Okay, we'll have to leave Rebecca there and play the rest of that next week. I'm going off to the climate strike now uh, where I hope to join the march to uh, Musgrave Park. Let's go out with that beautiful band, Spinifex Gum Band, and they're playing Dream Baby Dream. Dream Baby Dream
treaty.